Well, I wonder what is the most significant purchase you've ever made. For me, it's my car. I bought it shortly after I started working. If you don't know my car, it's a 1982 uh, Ford Falcon, an XE. Cost me 2,000 bucks. More money than I've spent on any other single item in my entire life. Which is kind of funny when you think about it. When you think about what I got for my money. In the, in the time that I've had my car, I've had to replace the radiator, the push rods, the hydraulic lifters, the universal joints, the exhaust system, the power steering, the electronic ignition module, the cylinder head and the camshaft. I seem to be forever cutting rust out of the thing. And now, this past week, with all the rain, yes, I discover that the windscreen leaks. I don't want to think about how much money I've spent on the thing. I think, I think I first started to suspect that maybe I bought a lemon the day that I was driving down the highway and I noticed for the very first time that every time I passed a hitchhiker, they actually turned their thumb downwards. <laughs> and the day that I knew for sure that I'd bought a lemon, was the day that I programmed the NRMA into the speed dial of my telephone. <laughs> now, having mentioned all this, I would like to actually take the opportunity to point out to you that, yes, my car is for sale. <laughs> and uh, any interested parties can come and speak to me at morning tea. I would love to hear from you. <laughs> love to hear from you. Now, you laugh, you laugh, because you realise, after everything that I just told you about my car, that it would take a pretty foolish person, really, to want to buy it. And the fact is, if I knew then what I know now about my car, there's no way in the world I would have bought it in the first place. No one in their right mind, knowingly, buys a lemon. It's ridiculous. Which is why I find Jesus so extraordinary. This morning, I want us to enter into the world of the marketplace. I want us to enter the world of the marketplace, the world of Westfields, of the Trading Post, of, of eBay. I want us to enter the world of the marketplace because this morning, I want us to think about the redemption of the cross. What does it mean that we Christians have been redeemed by Jesus? And that'll take us into the world of the marketplace because redemption is just a technical word that simply means to buy or to buy back. And this morning, we're going to be pretty much focusing all of our attention onto just one verse of the Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles open, you can find that on page 844 of the small print or 1859 of the large print Bibles. Titus chapter 2, Verse 14. Tell you what though, before we go any further, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to think about the redemption of the cross. And we pray that you would thrill us and encourage us and challenge us as we consider this wonderful doctrine together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once upon a time, Christians 
didn't belong to Jesus. We were not his people. But then Jesus bought us. He redeemed us. And he redeemed us at a price. Now, when you go to the shops and you buy something, there's always a price that you look for, isn't there? Before you buy that thing, there's always a cost involved when you buy something. It is, after all, a transaction. Well, it was the same when Jesus bought us. So how much did Jesus spend on purchasing you and me? Look with me at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We see there that Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. That's it. That's the price of our our redemption. Jesus gave himself for us. Jesus didn't give money. He didn't give a check. He didn't use his credit card. Jesus gave himself. In other words... Your redemption cost Jesus his very life. Wow. I don't know if you heard the story last year of 80-year-old Frank Compton and his 10-year-old Yorkshire Terrier, Sandy. It's a true story. And uh, one day, uh, Frank came home. Sandy was nowhere to be seen. Looked for him everywhere, couldn't find Sandy. Uh, Next thing, the phone rings. and The guy on the other end says... I've dognapped Sandy. And if you want to ever see Sandy again, then you're going to have to put up a $15,000 ransom. So what does Frank do? Well, Frank jumps in his car and he drives down the bank and he takes out $15,000 and then he goes to the designated meeting place and he hands over $15,000 to a complete stranger in order to get Sandy back, which he does. What makes someone do that? What makes someone give away half of their life savings, because that's what it was, in order to get a dog? Is this just a senile old man? Now, don't get me wrong, I think dogs are great. I'm a dog man. But I don't think I would pay 15 grand for one. So why did Frank? It's obvious, isn't it? Here is a man who was absolutely mad about his dog. Here is a man who was desperate to have his dog with him. Here is a man who loved his dog so much that he was prepared to give away half of his life savings for him. It's true, isn't it? The more you want something, the more you'll be prepared to give in order to get it. Well, Jesus wanted you so much, so badly, that he didn't give away half of his life savings, not even all of his life savings for you. He gave away his very life for you. About this time last year, there was a lot of controversy over Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. I'm sure you remember the controversy. At least in part, that controversy was over the gruesome portrayal of the death of Jesus. And if you haven't seen the movie, let me tell you, it is every bit as horrific as people have probably told you. It really is a horror movie. And even then, Mel Gibson 
he wasn't really able to portray all of the suffering of Jesus. He was able to portray the physical suffering of Jesus, but he wasn't really able to portray the, the spiritual suffering of the forsaken Son of God. But you know, when we take into account what was happening there on the cross, the price that Jesus was paying in order to redeem us, suddenly we see that Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, it is as much a horror movie as it is a love story. Because through his horrendous death, Jesus purchased you. Well may we sing, as we just did, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It is an amazing love that Jesus has for you. And there, in Jesus' last moments on the cross, his life fully spent, he uttered those momentous words, it is finished. And with those words, our redemption was complete. With those words, we were sold to Jesus. Transaction accepted, as the FPOS machines put it. Sold to Jesus, redeemed at an extraordinarily high price because Jesus wanted you so badly. It's humbling, isn't it? But at the cross, Jesus not only redeemed us at a price... He also redeemed us from a past. He redeemed us from a past of wickedness. Look with me again at Titus 2.14. You'll see there that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Jesus bought us from, redeemed us from all wickedness. Well, what does that mean? According to my 12-year-old niece, rollerblading is wicked. But I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about here. Uh, according to the television commercial that I was watching during the week, eating ice cream is wicked. But I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about here. Now, when the Bible says that something is wicked, it means that it is totally opposed to God. It means that it's spiritually perverse, a person who is an enemy of God, a rebel. Rather than seeking to glorify God as they ought, wicked people, they actually seek to glorify themselves. See, they're self-serving and they're self-focused, they're self-indulgent. And then this wickedness, it's expressed in the way that people relate to God and to each other. Look with me at the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 3 where we see how this wickedness is expressed. Chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But it is the human condition. And did you notice that word there, enslaved? We were slaves to wickedness, belonging to wickedness, no choice but to be wicked. 
To be a slave to wickedness means that in life, when you're faced with a choice to either live God's way or live a wicked way, well, you choose the wicked way every time because slaves have no freedom. And yet, yet, this, this is exactly the sort of person that Jesus has chosen for himself. This is the sort of person that Jesus purchases, redeems. It's not because he's blind to the poor quality of what he's purchasing, like I was with my car. No, Jesus knows full well the broken, disgraceful, wicked nature of those whom he redeems. Don't you think that is extraordinary? To think that when Jesus bought me, he bought a lemon. No, to think that when Jesus bought me, he knowingly bought a lemon. I find that extraordinary. It really chucks out the window any idea that you become a Christian by being good, doesn't it? The Bible never, nowhere, not even once, not even hints that Jesus purchases good people. It says that he purchases the wicked. The fact is, in this world, there are only two groups of people. There are those who are slaves to wickedness, and then there are those who were once slaves to wickedness. The only difference is this latter group have been redeemed by Jesus. So let me ask you, which group are you in? Slave to wickedness? Redeemed by Jesus? As you leave this building this morning, please, please don't do so as a slave to wickedness any, any longer. I implore you to leave here this morning as the newly purchased acquisition of the loving, gracious Jesus, an owner who loves you enough to have died for you. And how can you do that? How can you be redeemed by Jesus? All you've got to do is ask him. Pray that he will redeem you from your past of wickedness. Pray that he will make you his own. And he will. Not because you've been good and you deserve it, no. But because of his kindness and his mercy to you. Chapter 3 verse 4 puts it this way. Chapter 3 verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared... That is when Jesus came. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. If you ask, Jesus will be merciful to you too. If you ask, he will redeem you from your past of wickedness. So Jesus has redeemed us at a price and he has redeemed us from a past Finally, Jesus has redeemed us to a purpose. When Jesus buys us, he does something amazing with us. Look with me again at chapter 2, verse 14. We see that 
Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In other words, when Jesus redeems us, he doesn't just redeem us from wickedness, he also redeems us to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He redeems us to a purpose. When Jesus bought us, he rescued us out of the realm of wickedness and he purified us. He transformed us into something that is completely different. See, redemption is so much more than just a rescue. It is a renovation rescue. It is an extreme makeover. It always amazes me how some people, perhaps you know people like this, some people have that knack of being able to take that old, rotten, deteriorated piece of furniture, a useless piece of furniture, something that belongs on the tip, and how they're able to do it up and restore it. You know people like that? Restore it into something that is exquisite and useful, something beautiful. Well, Jesus has bought Christians and as the master craftsman has purified us, restored us into something beautiful, a people of his own, a people who are eager to do good, not eager to do good every now and then, but into a people who are always eager, always zealous to do what is good. So, have a look around you here this morning. Like, like, quite seriously. Have a look around you here this morning. Turn your, turn your head and see who is here this morning. It's got to be better than looking at me. Who's here this morning? What do you see? What do you see? Because my hope is that you see men and women who are eager to do what is good. My hope is that you see men and women who long to see other people saved. My hope is that you see men and women who crave to love you and to love other people, to love you in their actions, in their words, in their prayers. My hope is that you see people who yearn for upright, godly lives of integrity. In other words, I hope you see the expert workmanship of the one who has redeemed us. And of course, since Jesus has redeemed us, we're no longer slaves to wickedness. So now in life, when we're faced with that choice to live God's way or, or to live the wicked way, we have a choice in a way we never did when we were slaves to wickedness. Now we can choose God's way. And yet, let me be completely honest with you. The fact is, even as a person whom Jesus has redeemed, even as a person who Jesus has transformed, I've got to admit that there's still times where in life I still choose the wicked way. But even the very thought of that is preposterous. Why on earth would I choose to live the ugly 
broken way I once did when I was a slave to wickedness, now that Jesus has redeemed me and transformed me into something different. It's ludicrous. Imagine for a moment some lady on that television program, Extreme Makeover, having the tummy tuck and having the nose job and then comes time for her to reveal her complete transformation to her friends and her family. There they are, they're all gathered round, she's in behind the door. They're all waiting expectantly to see how she's changed. Well, imagine then as the door flies open and in she walks, there she is with a pillow stuck up her shirt, wearing a big prosthetic nose. The very idea is ludicrous, isn't it? Well, in the same way, it's ludicrous for you and for me now that Jesus has purified us to be his people, a people eager to do good, it's ludicrous to think that we would ever live the wicked way we once did. It's ludicrous to think that we wouldn't be eager to do what is good. No, Jesus has redeemed you to a purpose. He has set you free from wickedness. He's transformed you into something beautiful. So friends, leave the wicked ways behind. Live beautifully and be eager to do what is good. So this is Good Friday. Today we celebrate the death of Jesus. It's a bit of a morbid thought, sort of, isn't it? To celebrate the death of a man. And then again, no other man's death has meant so much to so many. Because it was at the cross that Jesus redeemed us. And he redeemed us at a price. And he redeemed us from a past. And he redeemed us to a purpose. It's no wonder they call it Good Friday, is it? I'm thinking maybe we should change it to Fantastic Friday. <laughs> well, do you want to thank your Redeemer? Me too. Let's do it. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much that you went as far as giving up your very self, your very life, in order to purchase us. We admit that there was nothing in us that made us worthy of being bought by you. We admit that we were slaves to wickedness, living lives opposed to God. And so we thank you that your love for us meant that you wanted us anyway. We thank you also for the evidence of your expert workmanship in us and in those around us. Forgive us those times we fail to live as the people you've transformed us into. And finally, we pray that this Easter you would fill us with joy as we celebrate what you've done for us in purchasing us at the cross. And we pray that this joy would remain with us, not just for a day or for a season, but for our whole lives. In our Redeemer's name we pray. Amen.